Chapter 6 of English Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. English Fairy Tales by Ernest Rhys. The Lampton Worm. Long, long ago, I cannot say how long, the young heir of Lampton Castle led a careless, profane life, regardless of God and man. All his Saturday nights he spent in drinking, and all his Sunday mornings in fishing. One Sunday he had cast his line into the water of Weir many times without a bite, and at last in a rage he let loose his tongue in curses loud and deep to the great scandal of the servants and country folk as they passed by to the old chapel at Brugeford, which was not in ruins then. Soon afterwards, he felt something tugging at his line, and, trusting he had at last hooked a fine fish, he used all his skill to play it and bring it safe to land. But what were his horror and dismay on finding that instead of a fish he had only caught a loathly worm of most evil appearance? He hastily tore the foul thing from his hook and flung it into a well close by, which is still known by the name of the Worm Well. The young heir had scarcely thrown his line again into the stream, when a stranger of venerable appearance, passing by, asked him what sport he had met with. He replied, Why, truly I think I have caught the evil one himself. Look in and judge. The stranger looked, and remarked that he had never seen the like of it before, that it resembled an eft, only it had nine holes on each side of its mouth, and finally that he thought it boded no good. The worm remained there unheeded in the well, till it outgrew so confined a dwelling-place. It then emerged, and betook itself by day to the river, where it lay coiled round a rock in the middle of the stream, and by night to a neighbouring hill, round whose base it would twine itself, while it continued to grow so fast that it soon could encircle the hill three times. This eminence is still called the Worm Hill. It is oval in shape, on the north side of the weir, and about a mile and a half from old Lampton Hall. The Lampton Worm now became the terror of the whole countryside. It sucked the cow's milk, worried the cattle, devoured the lambs, and committed every sort of depredation on the helpless peasantry. Having laid waste the district on the north side of the river, it crossed the stream and approached Lampton Hall, where the old lord was living alone and desolate. His son had repented of his evil life, and had gone to the wars in a distant country. Some people say he had gone as a crusader to the Holy Land. On hearing of the dreaded worm's approach, the terrified household assembled in council. Much was said, but to little purpose, till the steward, a man of age and experience, advised that the large trough which stood in the courtyard should immediately be filled with milk. This was done without delay. The monster approached, drank the milk, and without doing further harm, returned across the weir to wrap his giant form around his favourite hill. The next day he was seen recrossing the river, the trough was hastily filled again, and with the same results. It was found that the milk of nine kai was needed to fill the trough, and if this quantity was not placed there every day, regularly and in full measure, the worm would break out into a violent rage, lashing its tail round the trees in the park, and tearing them up by the roots. The Lampton worm was now, in fact, the terror of the whole country. Many a knight had come out to fight with it, but all to no purpose, for it possessed the marvellous power of reuniting itself after being cut asunder, and thus was more than a match for all the knighthood of the North. So, after many a vain conflict, and the loss of many a brave man, the creature was left in possession of its favourite hill. 
After seven long years, however, the heir of Lampton returned home to find the broad lands of his ancestors waste and desolate, his people terror-stricken or in hiding, his father sinking into the grave, overwhelmed with care and anxiety. He took no rest, we are told, till he had crossed the river and surveyed the worm as it lay coiled round the foot of the worm hill. Then hearing how every other knight and man-at-arms had failed, he took counsel in the matter from the wise woman of Chesterley Street. At first the wise woman of Chesterley Street did nothing but upbraid him for having brought this scourge upon his house and neighbourhood, but when she saw that he was indeed penitent, and eager at any cost to remove the evil he had caused, she bade him get his best suit of mail, studded thickly with spearheads, to put it on, and thus armed, to take his stand on the rock in the middle of the river weir. There he must meet the worm face to face, trusting the issue to providence and his good sword. But she charged him before going to the encounter to take a vow, that if successful, he would slay the first living thing that met him on his way homewards. Should he fail to fulfil this vow, she warned him that for nine generations no lord of Lampton would die in his bed. The heir, now a belted knight, made the vow in Brugeford Chapel. He studded his armour back and breastplate, greaves and armlets, with the sharpest spearheads, and unsheathing his trusty sword, took his stand on the rock in the middle of the weir. At the accustomed hour the worm uncoiled its snaky twine and wound its way towards the hall, crossing the river close by the rock on which the knight was standing eager for the combat. He struck a violent blow upon the monster's head as it passed, on which the creature turned on him, and writhing and lashing the water in its rage, flung its tail round him as if to strangle him in its coils but the closer the worm wrapped him in its folds, the more deadly were its self-inflicted wounds, till at last the river ran crimson with its blood. As its strength diminished, the knight redoubled his strokes, and he was able at last, with his good sword, to cut the serpent, fold by fold, and piece by piece, asunder. Each severed part was immediately borne away by the swiftness of the current, and the worm, unable to reunite itself, was utterly destroyed. During this long and terrible combat in the river, the household of Lampton had shut themselves within doors to pray for their young lord, he having promised that, when it was over, he would, if conqueror, blow a blast on his bugle. This would assure his father of his safety, and warn them to let loose a favourite hound which they had destined as the victim, according to the wise woman's word and the young lord's vow. When, however, the bugle notes were heard within the hall, the old lord of Lampton forgot everything but his son's safety, and, rushing out of doors, ran to meet and embrace him. The heir of Lampton felt his heart turn sick as he saw his old father come. What could he do? He could not lift his hand against his beloved father, yet how else could he fulfil his vow? In his perplexity he blew another blast. The hound was let loose. It bounded to its master. The sword, yet reeking with the Lampton worm's blood, was plunged into its heart. But it was all in vain. The vow was broken. What the wise woman of Chesterley Street had foretold came true. The curse lay upon the house of Lampton for nine generations. End of chapter 6 Recording by Stephen Harvey